Welcome back to another great mandate recording day. Ben, how are you doing today? I am doing pretty good. Uh, you'll hear in the introduction, kind of had a rough week last week, uh, kind of uh, recovering from that. However, uh, this episode made my problems feel pretty small. Yeah, me too. Me too. And and it's not... any. Nathan doesn't go into that... The message is not, you think you've got it bad, look how bad I had it. It comes across of like, I live a pretty vanilla lifestyle and and I need to be, I need to be grateful for that. I need to be content in that. Uh, I need to be grateful for um, the decisions either I made or my parents made for me, my friends had for me in you know high school and college because I don't think my... Story is a whole lot different from Nathan's. I think my path uh, could have gone down the the exact same route that Nathan's does. Uh, I was a uh, a guy in high school that could get along with a lot of different kinds of people. Uh, like I said, I played sports and I did theater. Those two things are absolutely opposite. Yeah, I loved yeah. both portions of those people. Um, and I liked partying. I liked partying a lot. Yep. But I was always very scared of um. Drugs, yeah, because that culture was certainly around. Yeah, me too. Uh, but it was just something that I think my parents probably instilled the fear, yes, uh, in me not to do that. Yep. And I don't think many of my like close friends were doing that. I had some auxiliary friends that were doing it recreationally. Yeah. But I could see my addictive personality really liking those. I I would I think I feel about the same way about it because I had a I had a very healthy fear of doing drugs. Yeah. And I don't know if it was just a successful drug programs that they ran at Brandon High School, but Brandon Valley High School, sorry, Belton Valley. Um, but yeah, I I could definitely see how you could get down that path pretty easy cuz I mean, I would drink all weekend. Totally. And during the weekend, I mean, but uh, and I don't want to like I certainly don't want to make a joke out Correct. of it. And I certainly and Correct. I and I definitely don't want to be like here's my story in um in parallel with Nathan's. His story, the story you're about to hear, you guys, is this is real world. This is happening in your life, whether you know it or not. And if you don't know it, it's going to become aware to you. It might not happen to you, but it is happening to someone in your life. There is, just like he says it, there is a giant shame culture yeah. in the United States. And so people are, are required to do this in the dark and do this in secret. There's people that you think are very successful in your life and they've got it all put together and their Instagram looks real nice. That's 1% of their life. There's another probably 10% that they're hiding that is very destructive. Yep. And you need to be more in tune with their life. And I hope, my hope, Ryan, is that this episode gets shared the most. I don't care if it gets downloaded the most, but I hope it's, it gets shared the most because I hope when people listen to it, they're like, I can either I can either assimilate with Nathan's story or I stand for what mandate's putting out which is that this world is that we live in is not black and white right it's very very gray and I I appreciate what mandate did in in giving Nathan a, a platform to tell his story and to highlight that this is happening in South Dakota. This right. is happening in Sioux Falls. This is happening in Minnehaha County. This is happening in your neighborhood. This is happening in your family. So I do agree with you on 
I mean, it's not like we're trying to make light of the fact that maybe you and I would have gone on the right path, you know. Uh, but Nathan does make a really good point that it can very easily happen to people just like you and I. And it's out there and um, just the way that drugs work and the way that biologically it affects people, it doesn't take much to go down a completely different path. And Dr- drugs are engineered to have a biological response. Yes. And right to your brain. And what's the most impactful organ in your body? It is your brain. They're so, engineered. So this episode is pretty heavy. Yeah. Very heavy. So just very heavy. Be you know, if you're listening to this, just be aware that there we talk about a variety of different things, but um there is drug drug addiction, mm-hmm. suicide, and homosexuality, homosexuality, HIV. Yeah. So just all those are part of Nathan's story. Yes. So, so this is just one of those things. Uh, just be be aware of that before you go into it. Yep. So. All right, um, Ryan. So again, great success we've had with uh, Sioux Falls Finest, um, Sioux Falls Best, Sioux Falls Finest. Are we finest? It is Sioux Falls Finest. We should trademark it. We should get a trademark. Let's market. do it, TM. Um, okay, so Sioux Falls Finest. Uh, we're going to go today uh, with, n- this is no, <laughs> no coordination uh, between th- the story. Okay, so don't read into this, people. But we want to highlight some garbage services. We, have, we both have exemplary garbage services. Uh, it's a weird city. I think I talked about this on another episode where, where back in Rapid, it's city-owned. The yeah. landfill is yep. city-owned and the garbage service is city-owned. So it was weird when I moved here and there's like nine different garbage services. Right. Uh, so Sioux Falls Finest, uh, wonder what they want to be called. Sanitary services? S- say sanitary services. Yeah. That sounds way better. Yeah, I think okay. that's the term. Sioux Falls Finest, sanitary services, Ryan Cons go. Okay, so Novak has been an incredible service for us. I mean, and I have a recent, well, I've had a couple examples. We had like the top of our recycling bin that was broken. And so Pam called my wife and said, uh, hey, this is uh, broken. Just want to give you guys a heads up and let us know what we need to do. And the person on the other line said, hey, thank you for that. We've already got to take it in. We're going to replace it the next time we come by. They'd already addressed it. Providing great customer service yeah. for sanitary services. They usually come on Fridays for us. But if there's a holiday week, they come on Saturday. So, oh, wow. So if we're out, if the, and the my kids, if they see it, they want to go out there and it, if you know like the garbage industry at all or sanitary ser- services at all, like it's a time thing. I mean, it's a time logistics and they totally like just like FedEx or anything else that's going door to door. So not one time has, have I gone out with my kids where they haven't been completely kind and polite, let them do the lever and everything. And I'm sure that the business folks at Novak are probably like, what in the world? And I'm, my you fault. Need, you need to get to the next stop. But holy smokes, every single time, the guy has been super full of grace and just lets him experience like what, what how does this lever work and how yep. does this look? So just a really cool experience. That's what I like to hear. Uh, mine is Ace. Um, they are wonderful. They come at the same time on Wednesday morning. Uh, I have three services that come by. So three different trucks come on Wednesday. I have my landscape guy come by, right? They give me a big old landscape truck yep. or, um, Landscape yard, like yard waste. receptacle, yard yeah, yeah, waste. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Um, and then I have recycle, mm-hmm. and then I have just general waste. All three guys are wonderful. They always say hi. I'm usually out working out. They come at about 
6.15, so I'm usually out. And oh. if it's warm out, uh, the the garage door is open, so always have nice things to say. Wonderful people. Uh, always get a, either someone on the other line if I have an issue or they give me a call back within 24 hours. Um, but I just have exemplary service. And That's I'm awesome. just really, really proud to be an ACE sanitary service customer. So those are our Sioux Falls finest. Very good. Very good. Uh, the other thing then we want to talk about today, yeah. uh, we hit 20,000 downloads. Dude, that is huge deal. Awesome. It's a huge deal. Uh, and I put a, I put a couple posts out there and you shared those, Ryan. Yeah. I appreciate that. It's a really big deal. We had about 10,000 show up for the first season. Uh, and that was a huge number for us. Um, we doubled that in season two and all we can do, there's nothing else I can do other than say thank you. And when I say that, uh, it's not a light thank you. Like, thank you for listening. Right. We'll keep putting stuff out. It's like, thank you for pressing play. Thank you for trusting us. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to what we're putting out there. Thank you for sharing. Uh, thank you for guests, for being vulnerable. Uh, and also sharing. I mean, our our best, our most downloaded episodes are usually with guests that uh, are very uh, intentional about, you know, sharing our posts and 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 then making it personal, like why they should listen. Um, so we are just mandates that have been with us from the start, mandates that we've picked up, you know, with each guest that comes up. We're so thankful. Like we're Ryan and I are just a couple of knuckleheads. That, like I said in the post, we're just we're giving a platform to South Dakota's greatest asset, and that is the people. Yeah, so uh, extremely humbling to just kind of get to do this and continue to do it. Uh, but yeah, especially thank you for, to, for certainly who are listening, but also just the the guests that have agreed to come on and just share in our in our whatever the you know share share in our voice and just yeah it was so exciting our vision so, right our vision and our vision, mission you. right which yeah. is to create a space to have vulnerable conversations because you can have more meaningful relationship that's the whole reason we do this um and so with that uh please reach out if you have guests you have stories that need to be told we love that we are happy to at least have the conversation of why why it would fit on mandate or maybe why it wouldn't um but more times than not it's a would um or any specific comments that you have for us, for us to get better, we want to know that as well. Uh, we don't think we perfected this at all by any stretch of the imagination. We're just making it up. So uh, continue to comment, like, share, um, subscribe, uh, and then rate our podcast. All those things are hugely, hugely helpful. Uh, we just, I was out on a walk the other day and, and ran into a, a, a casual friend and he said, you know, I didn't even know you were doing a podcast. And I said, oh, you must have found me, you know, on my social media because my social media, that's pretty much all I have. Yep. In fact, I think I've lost a lot of friends, by the way, because people are like, this is really redundant. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so oh. I was like, oh, you must have found me on my social. He goes, no, Apple Podcasts, like that's... said, you should listen to this episode. And that is only because that's the algorithm, people. Right, right. The only reason that works is because people have pushed like, people have pushed subscribe, people have rated and commented on why other people should listen. That's the only reason it gets in front of people organically. Right. So thank you for doing that. Right. We'll, we'll keep we'll keep recording if you kept pre- kept keep pressing play. KPP.
keep pressing play. This one's no different, Ryan. This is uh, this is one of those episodes that I hope gets played a lot because yeah. it needs to. Yep. There's a lot of good stuff in this one. So uh, again, very um, heavy topics. So just beware. Uh, but thank you, and as always, enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Mandate Podcast, a podcast where we encourage people towards deeper relationship through meaningful conversation. A podcast where you'll get to know people from the 605. Here's our latest episode. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the my name is Ben Prush. I am here with my main man, as always, Ryan, pros and cons, cons. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing quite well. How are you doing, doing I'm, today? I'm doing well. Uh, only well, though, Ryan, as we spoke about coming to this podcast, mm-hmm. had some recent things in my life that, uh, you know, I've been riding a high for a while uh, yep. and got knocked down a couple pegs. Uh, well, and and that part of that is okay. And, and it's given me an opportunity to self-reflect. Yeah. And... Yeah. Uh, talk and seek wise counsel from people that I care about, such as yourself. Um, but it's been trying. Yeah. No, I could I could hear that in your voice when we were talking earlier. So yeah, a little crunchy, but that's all right though. Yeah, I think okay. it's good. It's good up, right? I, th- I think it also shows that you're living a little yeah, bit. Absolutely. Right, and being being able to own your mistakes, but also being vulnerable with other people uh, to be like, hey, am I off on this? Right. Right. That's big on what we talk about. Right. Yeah. How about you? Good, good. Uh, we're wrapping up fo- flag football. It's, I think I feel like I talk about that. Are you like in the championship so, now? No, we we lost the game to get in the championship to a really good team. So that's kind of a wrap. So you're semifinals. Yeah, awesome. We're gonna be, be We could be semi champions. That's a big deal. <laughs> so that's fun. Some it's of this fun. crew had never like picked up a football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's good. So that's that's fantastic coaching on your part. So obviously, Marcus Fromm, thank you for co-coaching, and then yeah. also, I mean, Michigan friend of fan, the show, Marcus Fromm, friend, friend of the show, and you know, Michigan fan. So finally got a big W Heck against yes. a, a legit teammate, a legit team this Heck year, yes. a Penn, Penn State. Yeah, that was a big win for us. That was the second game I got to watch. You yep. know, five minutes of. So you know, on the Mandate Podcast, we love sports and weather. <laughs> The weather is a little we chilly love out there. Talk about sports. <laughs> we're getting a little freezing at night, so make sure you cover your plants. We're out here trying to teach men not to talk about <laughs> sports, and that's what we're talking about. Oh, that's good. Okay, uh, moving forward, uh, we have Ryan, a amazing guest. Uh, this guest came to us through big time friend of the show, Joe Moen, big friend, big friend. Uh, with uh, Origin Health, uh, and uh, we are really excited to have Nathan Castleder with us today um we're going to talk about some real stuff um there's going to be uh addiction there's going to be um homosexuality so just for people that are listening just understand that that's what we're going to talk about and here on the mandate podcast uh we are we're being vulnerable right and with that vulnerability uh comes some trust and so nathan is trusting us with his story we are trusting you the listener uh, to maybe listen to it first and then decide if you want to give it to uh, a younger person. So just just be weary of that. Um, but we're really excited to have Nathan. He's got an awesome story, um, a story that I will call redemption. Um, and he's gone through some heavy, heavy downs. Um, he is a fascinating human being. Uh, and He's really riding high right now, and we are honored, Nathan, that you would grace uh, the Mandate podcast with your story. So thank you for being here, uh, and welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. 
So Nathan, the first thing is uh, we, we got to introduce you to the mandatees. Sure. Uh, kind of give your, we don't necessarily have to get right into your testimony, but just kind of where you came from, where you've, where you've been, kinds of things you've done. Um, just kind of take it as if we're doing a job interview. Who, you, who are you? Sure. Uh, I grew up here in Sioux Falls. Uh, my family's all here. Uh, graduate of Roosevelt High School. I went to college at the University of Minnesota. Um, moved away as soon as I could get away uh, when I was 18 and lived in Atlanta, Houston, Texas, Austin, Texas, uh, and back again in Minneapolis. And I, I returned to Sioux Falls in December of 2020, uh, kind of after the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I also came back because I, I was at a place in my life um, where I didn't have anywhere else to go. I, um, <clears throat> I was homeless in a BMW mm. and, um, and, and really just kind of on the run from myself and my past. And, um, and, and I finally decided uh, maybe I need to go home yeah. and uh, be close to family for a while. Good. Good. So. Okay. Well, then that, that you teed me up, Nathan. Okay. Yeah. So thank yeah. you for doing that. You're a podcast veteran uh, <laughs> already. So uh, let's talk about that. Um, let's sure. talk about, uh, I mean, I know part of your story. Um, and so let's go into kind of you as a youth yep. uh, and then you into getting, you know, going to college, enjoying some freedom and then kind of when your professional life took off. Okay, sure. Um, I guess what I... A lot of what I will talk today about is is heavy. You know, it might not be the traditional podcast topics, um, but it's not all bad. There's a there's a lot of hope in my life today. Um, this morning, I am uh, celebrating 21 months uh, of sobriety from wow. my drug addiction. Awesome! Congratulations! And in uh, three years since I've had to take a drink of alcohol, and so uh, <clears throat> never thought that would be possible. So. When, when we were talking about setting up this podcast, um, I asked to do it today on the 17th because that's my day. Yeah. It's a huge deal, Nathan. I'm super proud of you. I don't know if anyone else has said that. And I, I don't know that. how much that means <laughs> coming from me as we're kind of new, new friends. Yeah. But that's a big freaking deal. Thank you. Um, so, yeah. So, I, you know, I, I grew up here and in, into, born into a, a middle class family. Um, but... We, we, we struggled with alcoholism in my family, and that was uh, on both sides. Most of the men in my uh, immediate family and extended family had drinking problems. And um, I think, you know, anybody who's grown up in that, you know, it makes the whole family neurotic. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do a really good job of, you know, everything's always great, you know, and even though it's not. Yep. And... Um, and so living through that really, you know, impacted my whole life. I, I always was afraid. You know, I have been afraid for decades of, of the disease, of the people that were uh, afflicted by the disease, of, my, of who I was on the inside. And so fear and dishonesty uh, were my higher power when I was a young person. And I became uh, whoever I needed to be to survive that situation and to get mm-hmm. through it. And it was really out of self-preservation, you know, because if anybody ever found out these things, uh, you know, life could be over for me or our family. And so uh, I was a good son and, um, you know, kept that secret for a long time. Um, <clears throat> and kind of going to when I was about four or five years old, 
um, I started to know that I was different. And, um, you know, you, I'm, I'll put a little time on this. So this would have been 1984, 85. And the world was a lot different back then, especially, um, you know, for gay people. And, and I didn't know that that's what I was there. You know, I didn't have the internet. We, ha we had an eight track player, um, not an internet. <laughs> Fancy. <-track. laughs> so, you know, there was nowhere to go and kind of like explore this part of your life. And so, um, so I was, I, I was different and I, I wanted to do things that my friends were doing, you know, sports and that sort of thing. But I was so afraid uh, because there was a difference in my personality that I couldn't participate in those things. You know, I like to cook. Uh, I like to be outside and play. Uh, I like plants and flowers and all those things. And, and I thought that was normal, you know. And as I got older, you know, uh, you'd start to hear those comments. Um, and, and you started to realize, gosh, other people don't think the way and feel the way that I do. And so, <clears throat> so I hid that part of myself and um, had a pretty normal childhood. I was really involved in school activities. Uh, in high school, I was, you know, I spoke at graduation, um, did, did well academically, probably not as well as I could have, but, uh, you know, I, I, did, I did a good job. And, and so when it came time for me to be able to move away from Sioux Falls, I couldn't leave fast enough. Mm -hmm. This was a small town in my mind with small-minded people, and, and I wanted nothing to do with them. And I was um, pretty angry at that point, uh, but that was also masked. I, um, if you don't know anybody who is gay, I can, I can clear the air here. Amen. No one wakes up asking for this. So it's, it's not a choice. You know, this is how uh, I was hardwired into this world. And... <clears throat> When I was a teenager, I remember, you know, we weren't a really religious family, but I do remember praying. And, and I don't know where that came from, but I remember praying to God, please don't make me be this way. I will live this perfect life if you will change this aspect about me. And, and those prayers went on for a really long time and they never got answered. And so, um, so I was angry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's another word I would like to say, but I won't because it's yeah. a, a family show. But um, so I took that anger, packed it up with all my all my belongings, and I went off to college in Minneapolis. Yeah. And you know, Minneapolis was four hours away. You know, far enough to to kind of be myself, but really not as far as I wanted to be. And so um, stayed there and kind of had my first um, experience. Uh, with with being a gay person and um, and and this person turned out to be an alcoholic and uh, so you know I can find him you know if, if someone is a damaged person I will find that person and seek that out mm -hmm. because uh, I think I wanted to fix him you know I didn't I couldn't fix my life so let me fix somebody else's and that was a great escape for me um, <clears throat> and so in college um, I got my first DUI in college. I was 19 years old. Um, started drinking. I'll back up just a little bit. I started drinking at 13. The, the, year before, the summer before I was a freshman at Roosevelt. And my drinking throughout high school was social, but it was always excessive. And, um, and I, you know, I didn't do any drugs back then, but alcohol at least gave me 
this liquid courage to maybe be more of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we drank all the time every weekend. And, and, I, and I worry that that kind of thing still goes on today. Um, I was friends with a lot of the, the athletes, the popular kids, but I, I was in a lot of different social circles. Uh, I don't know that I would identify with any one of those, but I was connected to them all, and all of them drank. Yep. And, it's almost accepted. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, we, we, would, we would find a way to, to buy a bunch of booze and go out on a country road and drink until we couldn't drink anymore and then drive home. Um, and that's, you know, that was normal. Yeah, you didn't and know any better. You didn't. Our senior class trip, and I, I don't want to get any throw anybody under the bus, but our senior class trip, we went to Mexico. Uh, we outdrank every other state wow. that was wow. there. We, we literally won every drinking contest. And that was like a rite of passage. You know, we were so proud of ourselves for that. Uh, I'm glad nobody died on that trip, to right. be quite honest. Right. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of how all that got started. And, um, and so I'm, I'm off at college and, you know, I, I, I really kind of just fell into the party scene. I was a, a casual student, worked too much, uh, always wanted to be at somewhere else. You know, I, I got there, I was ready for the next thing. And, and that restlessness, that's a telltale sign of somebody with addiction. Mm. We are never content with where we're at. We always want to be somewhere else, uh, kind of bound by our past, but living in the, you know, living somewhere else. And so I did okay in school. Uh, but eventually left and moved to Atlanta, Georgia uh, in 2004. And shortly after I got there, um, I, went, I was at a, a Valentine's Day party. And, and I was introduced to cocaine. And, um, and, I, and I did it. And the words that came out of my mouth uh, after that was, this is going to be a problem. I loved it. And it was, it was the magic ticket for me. It set me free, and I could talk about myself and my feelings, and I could, I could be who, who I really wanted to be, uh, or so I thought. And, and there was a therapeutic value in, in that experience, but the problem with an addict is that we can't stay in that therapeutic zone. It, it's you know a 15-minute window, and then, and then the, the rails come off. And so... Um, so that became, that became my thing. And I was a Coke addict for eight years. And everybody did it. Everybody I knew did it. I mean, doctors, lawyers, professional business people, we would buy hundreds, if not thousands of dollars worth of cocaine every weekend as a group and do it all weekend long. And, um, and it, was, it was a great time until it wasn't. You know, it was a great party until it wasn't. And, and I had, you know, I kind of felt like I had arrived. Uh, that was a, a big time for, for clubs and bar scene. And you get in that world and, and people start to recognize you and know who you are. You think you're somebody. Because I was a nobody from South Dakota. And now I, I'm in this big city and people know me and I'm in you know, these magazines every weekend, you know, out and about. So, so it was a big deal for me. And, um, and I, I went into sales. I worked in hotels uh, most of my life, and I had a lot of success there. Um, at age 24, 
I was a top salesperson in my company. And again, at 25, um, you know, selling like $5 million a year in hotel rooms. That was a lot of hotel rooms. Yeah. Um, and so I got this job offer from W Hotels, which was um, part of Starwood, if you are a hotel person. And, and they were really kind of the movers and, sh and shakers of the industry. And so they asked me to come and open uh, some new W Hotels in Atlanta. And that was, I mean, I had, that was a big deal. And my job was to manage the entertainment and sports markets. So everything I did was a party. I traveled to Miami, LA, New York, uh, entertained clients, and I was doing drugs and drinking with all of my clients. So it was just this continuation uh, of a really, you know, good time that eventually, you know, started to, uh, started to cause problems all the time in my life. Mm. Cocaine is not cheap. And I couldn't continue to, uh, you know, as burning the candle at both ends of the wick and, and trying to keep up with people who were older than me, who had more money than me. Um, so I, I was always broke, <laughs> you know, and, and getting myself further and further financially impaired, which eventually made its way to my mom and dad mm. and, um, and, and their finances. Uh, I banged at the bank of mom and dad for a long time, you know, 30 years. And, and they bailed me out of every problem, you know, and I always promised I was going to pay them back. You know, I was a very capable person when I was not using drugs and alcohol. But when I started using the, uh, I couldn't stop. I, I didn't have any control. Uh, everything about my life was unmanageable. Um, and I, and it actually never occurred to me that I was an alcoholic, uh, still, you know, and I'm, I'm in my mid twenties and <clears throat> going out more and more, um, doing more and more, uh, harder drugs, club drugs. And, um, and I had this rule that I would never do methamphetamine and I stuck to that for a long time. But what I didn't know is that in the, in, in that time frame in the two thousands, uh, the cartels started to put methamphetamine in the cocaine. So I was doing it and didn't know it. And I also did, you know, a lot of ecstasy and things like that. So it was all laced with, with meth. And, <clears throat> and you become an addict to that and you're not even aware. Mm -hmm. So um, the, the, the fun, the party started to end. Um, I started to have career issues and job issues. I was always... Um, running the risk of being uh, pushed out of my living situation because I couldn't keep up with rent payments um, or I, my roommates uh, didn't really like my mode of living and, uh, you know, always borrowing money and that sort of thing. And so um, I, just, I just could never recover from that. And, and, I, and, I, and I, everybody that I dated was also an alcoholic or a drug addict. These were all people who partied. And, and, and so when you're with those similar people, uh, you don't see the red flags. If anything, they're encouraging the behavior because nobody wants to stop long enough and look at themselves and say, man, this might be a problem. And so, um, so I just, I just my, my success did not last very long. And, um, and I started moving around and... Um, kind of running from my problems. And I moved to Houston, Texas in uh, 2009. 
I, I couldn't get rehired anywhere in Atlanta. I had uh, taken money from friends, and um, it, was, it was kind of a fallout from that. And so I decided it was time to move, and I, and I landed in Houston, Texas, and, um, and there I just fell into um, the darkness of meth. You know, it's a drug of the underworld. Uh, no one thinks that they're going to get to that point in their lives. Um, <clears throat> and and there's a, there is a culture within uh, the gay community that really gravitates towards that drug. And, and people who use it, they use it in conjunction with hooking up. And that's what I did. And, <clears throat> and that's very dangerous. And um, I can't recall the first time I, I, I intentionally did it. But I, I was an IV drug addict. And that, that's a whole nother level of, of addiction. Uh, and it's a game changer. And you can't come back from that. And what people don't understand is that once you change the mode of your drug use, you, you get a different type of high. And there is nothing like that high. Um, and that, that high will take you to hell. And it'll take you to, to the gates of insanity. It will end your life. It will take everything that you have, and, and it wants more, you know? And so while I was going through all this, I didn't pray to God. I wasn't thinking about God, but I started to have some signs that maybe the devil's real, you know? Mm. And so I, I, <laughs> I had more confidence that the devil was real and that evil was real before I ever trusted God with my life. And that's a very scary place. Mm -hmm. And um, what I learned later on when I, when I turned the direction and, and became a person of faith, uh, that's spiritual warfare. No doubt. Yeah. And it's real. It's very real. And um, people who don't either understand it or they discount it, uh, they haven't encountered it yet. So be, may, maybe be grateful you haven't encountered it, but know that it's probably coming in some form or fashion. Uh, and if the devil isn't after you, that's probably because you're not really living uh, as a threat to him, right? So I was not a threat. If anything, I was carrying out his deeds. And, <clears throat> you know, and so I look back at that. I mean, I'm so grateful because there are so many instances where I did so many things that should have ended my life, and I'm still here today. Um, one of the things that happened to me, uh, when I was in Texas, uh, I was supposed to be in Las Vegas or Los Angeles for a business trip and I got sick and, uh, I couldn't make the trip. And so I went to the doctor and, uh, I did a bunch of tests and, and I, I kind of had an, had an idea of maybe what, what it was, but I, I wasn't sure. And so I go in or they set up a follow-up appointment. And, uh, and they called that morning and they said, we really need you to come in today. And that is not a good sign because you know that, that there's something that they're going to tell you that you don't want to hear. And uh, this was in April of 2010 and, um, and I went in and he went through my results and, and I had, uh, had an insignificant, I guess I'll say, um, STD. And he said, that'll be fine. We'll, we'll give you some antibiotics, you'll be fine. But he said, have you ever seen this before? And I looked at this, this document and, <clears throat> and it said uh, HIV 
and next to that it said reactive. And I knew what that meant. And, um, you know, as a gay person, growing up in the AIDS epidemic, I mean, I was at the tail end of that, so I never really experienced uh, losing friends from it like people did before me. Um, but it was this back, background threat to your life that was always there. Mm. And <clears throat> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell on myself uh, uh, what I shared with you when we first met. So yeah. when I was... When I was, you know, young and hip in my 20s going out to all the bars, um, my group of friends, we would become aware that somebody in our community had HIV. And we would make fun of them. And we, would, we had this code uh, that we would say, oh, there's so-and-so, and we would say high five. And that was, you know, Roman numeral HIV. And I did that a lot. And, you know, it's, it's like there are so many examples where people destroy their own people. And, and what God said in that moment, not as a punishment, but he said, you know, maybe you need to know what that's like. Maybe you need to know what it's like to live with uh, a diagnosis that nobody wants. And... Um, and I got to experience that firsthand. And I, I don't know that I realized at the time how devastating uh, it was to get that. I, he, he asked me, he said, do you want me to call anybody? Are you okay? And I said, no, uh, I think I'm fine. And I, I, didn't, I did not shed a single tear. I went back to work and I told my boss, <laughs> And she had a total breakdown and she went home. And I, <laughs> and I kind of, I'm like, this is, this is not how this is supposed to go. I'm supposed to be the one going home. And, um, and she went home that day and she was pretty devastated. And, um, and so I just, I just buried that, you know, my heart kind of sank into my stomach and, and everything on the inside of me died that day. And, and I was a dirty person in my mind, I was damaged goods, and, and I, I made the decision and the determination that no one would want what I was. And so I effectively took myself out of the game and, and decided that no one, and I knew that no one else would want what I had. And so uh, I, stopped, I stopped being me, and I stopped trying to, to find anyone worthwhile to date, I stopped uh, hanging out with healthy people, and I just fell further into the abyss of addiction. And I started hanging out exclusively with people who did meth. And, and, but, but not all the time. It was this weird duality that existed. I still had my life, my professional life, and, and still was doing that, but I also had this secret life, another secret life of, in a lifetime full of secret lives. That's, that's who I was. And, and it was this identity crisis. And, um, and so I just, you know, I just, I never talked about it. You know, that's the Midwest thing to do, right? We don't talk about it. It's going to go away. It'll just fix itself. And it doesn't go away. And, um, and so a lot of things happened in Texas uh, that I'd like to not, not remember. But, um, you know, with, with meth use, uh, in addition to that, I was on Xanax because, of course, you're depressed and you're anxious. I was on 
three different blood pressure medications. I was on antidepressants, antipsychotics. I think I had about 12 different medications at that time. Uh, today I'm on two. And um, one's for my hair. <laughs> Your hair looks great. Thank you. I your appreciate that. Amazing. I, We're going to push. I've, I've said it yeah. on this podcast multiple times. I do bad things to good people for some hair. Like for that. some hair. Yeah. So I'm, I'm still vain that way, but uh, <laughs> we are proud to have our first sponsor on the mandate podcast, origin health. What is origin health? I feel like origin and I am called to just to love the patient as they are in that moment, in that season of life. And we help them in whatever way we can. What kind of treatments can you get when you step into Origin Health? So I provide the chiropractic care in our office, so making joints move better so the muscles don't have to work so hard so that you can move through your life the way you see fit. Uh, my partner in Origin Strength, Rory and Kelly Witt, they assist people with nutrition and weight loss and performance nutrition depending on the patient's goals, helping them gain muscle, lose fat, feel better, recover quicker, thrive through life. We have also partnered with Dr. Jessica Dale of Rerooted Wellness to provide acupuncture and other needling services. And lastly, my beautiful bride, Kelsey Moen, is going to be providing soft wave ultrasound therapy to our patients who are struggling with chronic joint issues, acute joint issues that don't seem to be going away. Last question. Why are you choosing to partner with Mandate Podcast? I am an avid Mandatee and appreciate that Ben and Ryan are just trying to help people. That is the, at the heart, that is what Origin Health exists to do, help people. You can find Origin Health here in Sioux Falls. Their phone number is 605-799-2440. Or find them online at originhealthsf.com. Now, back to the show. So I, I ended up, of course, getting chased out of another town in Houston. Um, we don't have enough time to go into all those details, but just continue to be reckless in my living. And, uh, and people didn't want anything more to do with me. My phone stopped ringing. Um, and I, so I came home. I came home to Sioux Falls in 2012 and um, went to outpatient treatment at Avera. And, um, you know, I, I still don't think I was aware of how bad things were. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, pretty depressed, but I always had a good answer for everything, you know. I could say the right thing. I knew what to say. And, um, and what I got out of that experience was, you know, just don't do it again, you know? And nobody talked about recovery really long-term. I had not considered ever going to an AA meeting. It would be years before I would go to my first AA meeting. Um, I did not stay sober. And, um, and so I started drinking again here at home and doing Xanax. Uh, which is called the mind eraser, because if you do those two things, you absolutely cannot remember what you did. And I racked up a couple more DUIs, um, one here in Sioux Falls and one in Minneapolis. And, um, and I didn't like being back in Sioux Falls. I, I, I still had all of my resentments about this place from a childhood. So I, I thought, well, let's try the circle or the cycle all over again. So I went back to Minneapolis. I, I, I went back to work for a uh, one of my former bosses and, uh, that we were converting this large hotel. And the first weekend that I was there, they actually let me live in the hotel for a couple months until my apartment was ready. 
And, and the first weekend I was there, I was shooting up in the hotel in my room. And, um, so, you know, the problem just follows you wherever you go. It just, you can't move it away from it. And, um, and I got really sick with, uh, my addiction to Minneapolis and got another DUI there. So I have a total of three. And that, that last DUI was a, a doozy. I was, um, trying to get on the interstate and I passed out at a, a stoplight. I actually thought I had a heart attack and there was an ambulance and a police car that had barricaded me so that I couldn't move. And they were trying to break the window because they thought I wasn't breathing. And I, I either would have killed myself or somebody else when I, if I had gotten on the interstate. So that's a God moment. And, um, and I take full responsibility for drinking and driving. Um, that was wrong. And, and there's a culture that still uh, doesn't think that that's a bad thing. Or, you know, you go out and have a few drinks. I am absolutely grateful, 100%, that nothing terrible ever happened to me or somebody else because of my recklessness. And so, um, so that sped up, you know, my, my downfall in Minneapolis. And, uh, and I, I eventually made it to Hazelton Betty Ford that winter. I checked in on Christmas Eve. You, you are not on a winning streak when you check in uh, to a treatment center on Christmas Eve. Uh, and what prompted that, that decision to go to treatment, it was early December and the company that I was working for, Marriott, they were going to fire me. And I had a big job there. I was uh, working at a 600-room hotel and the head of a department, and I was totally addicted, showing up at work under the influence and uh, could not maintain my position. So I took a, a medical leave of absence. And <clears throat> before I got into treatment, I, uh, I lived down right along in the warehouse district along the river. And I took my Great Dane for a walk, and I remembered while we were on the bridge that I had a life insurance policy. And that life insurance policy was pretty substantial. And for me, you know, because of my, my diagnosis, my health diagnosis, I couldn't get insurance on my own, so I got it through work. And I thought, you know what? You, you should kill yourself while you still can, while that policy's active so that at least your mom and dad can get paid back from all that you have taken. I had taken uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars of their money through the mismanagement of my life. Um, and so I, that terrified me. Uh, I was not the person, <laughs> there's a lot of knots in my life, I was not supposed to be the drug addict. I was not supposed to be gay. I was not supposed to be somebody who wanted to kill themselves, and I became all of those things, and uh, and it scared me. So that's why that's why I went to treatment, and um, and I was really committed to defeating my addiction at that time, and um, I was there eleven days, and Cigna Healthcare, and Aetna, my my insurance through Marriott International. Uh, they decided that I had had uh, enough treatment and that I could go home and they weren't going to pay anymore after 11 days, 11 days. Mm. And that's, that's somebody who's had three DUIs, uh, who was on a, a bender of about 45 days where I, I, I used every single day and I couldn't stop and, and had all these other health related issues. And they're like, Oh no, 11 days, you can go home. So I, you know, this, 
anger comes up again, this, this righteous indignation about, you know, the man, the system, all of this. And, um, you know, and it's happening to me, you know, I'm this white privileged, uh, I mean, I was a much bigger deal in my mind. Um, but this shouldn't be happening to me. This, this should be happening to somebody else. You, you don't, you know who I am attitude. And I was so arrogant and, um, and I, I really didn't know what I was getting to when I went into treatment. It was pretty, uh, jarring experience. And, um, I got to tell you, no treatment center is perfect. Um, but it planted a seed for me and <clears throat> I want to talk about the nurses and detox. So it was Christmas. They couldn't, I had no gifts and you, you know, the nurses can't give you anything, but those people gave me love that Christmas and, and I was coming off of drugs and so I wanted candy and they went out and bought me this huge bag of uh, candy and Gatorade and they let me sleep uninterrupted for about a week. And, and that was my Christmas gift. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, I hope God blesses them. Amen. And, um, and so I left, I left Hazleton, um, and I went back home and I ignored all of the advice to go to sober living and, and I continued to relapse over and over and over again. And, um, <clears throat> I don't know where we're at with time, but I'll, I'll you just keep going we have as much time as you need. So I, you know, and I, I, I tried to, I tried to regain my footing throughout all of this. Um, and, uh, I tried, I kept getting, you know, these, these pretty good jobs despite my track record, you know, I could always sell myself, but I couldn't keep them because they require you to show up for work. I don't know if you know that, but you actually have to show up for work. And so, um, you know, that's really difficult when you're, when you're shooting up drugs. Um, I do want to share a quick statistic. So there, there are 22 million Americans right now who are suffering from an addiction. And, and only 10% of that 22 million are gonna go into treatment. And so this not only is a, a problem for the individual, but if you're a business owner or if you are somebody who pays taxes um, or just care about another you know, human, uh, there's a lot of people out there who are suffering. And there are a lot of people out there who cannot be part of the workforce and, and, and where I work today, we're, we're suffering and we're trying to find people to work and we can't find anybody. And I sometimes wonder, where did they go? I think I answered my own question. Yeah. Yep. They, they're not there because they can't be there. And COVID exacerbated that. And um, so it's, it's a crisis. And, you know, 200,000 people between alcohol-related issues and drug overdoses die every year in the United States. That's like the city of Sioux Falls dying every year. If just to put that in perspective, yeah. uh, so far in Sioux Falls, in South Dakota this year, I think it's, or last year we had about a hundred people that died of overdose. Um, so it's, it's a big deal. Um, let me talk about when things started to finally, uh, come, come back around for me. So I didn't last very long in Minneapolis and I went back to Texas and I eventually got to, to Austin, Texas, which is a, a big a recovery community, a treatment community, and I got to go to a place called Nova. And it was 90 days. Um, I went there. I liked it so much, I, I ended up going twice. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, the guys, so it's a, I mean, it was like a big book boot camp and a spiritual reboot, and they did not put up with people's BS. I mean, it was real. We, the, the best part of that treatment center was this, this class every day called awareness. And it was an hour and 15 minutes. And we sat in a circle and you had to help, keep your hands on your lap. And you had to tell three people something about them that was detrimental to the community or their recovery or a character defect. And that was about as grueling as it could get. And yet life-changing. Do you know how difficult it is for so many people to confront someone about behavior in a productive, positive way? Everybody. Yeah. And so we're all afraid, you know, we have this fear of confrontation, but we also just want to take everybody and let them have it, you know? So it's like, where's the middle ground there? And, and that, that, that exercise coupled with working all 12 steps of recovery, uh, transformed my life. I am grateful for that place. It helped save my life. Um, and for all of the people that work there, they don't get paid nearly enough. But um, it's a place that also lets people come back. If you relapse, and uh, you know, not everybody, but the people who show a propensity to try it again, they work with you and they let you come back. Um, <clears throat> so so I, things turned around for me finally. Down in Texas, um, I, I will also tell you that I relapsed several times after going there and, and started to get arrested for other things. Um, possession, trespassing, you know, those, you know, public intoxication, those sorts of things. Uh, it's a miracle today. All of those have been dismissed. I, I am not a felon today. Uh, I have, I have done my, uh, my work and repaid those, um, those transgressions and, uh, I have a clear conscience today, but I'm grateful they all happen because, um, you know, it, it, that's really a part of this thing. And we, we have a propensity in this country to want to lock up an addict and throw away the key. Uh, I do not believe in criminalizing people who are individual addicts who are not hurting other people. That is not a good use of anybody's time or resources. Um, and I also want to say that the, the treatment model, this 30-day treatment model, uh, is ineffective. And the only reason we have a 30-day treatment model, uh, so back in the 60s and 70s, the government, mainly the military, had a, had a, a big issue with addiction. And so they, and, and, and treatment centers were just starting to come to life. And so they would let service members leave, but they couldn't leave more than 30 days or else they would be AWOL. That was all they were willing to uh, cover in terms of cost. And so as a result of that, 30 days became the standard of care. There, there's very little science that says somebody who's been using drugs and alcohol for half of their life is gonna get better in 30 days. Uh, try to lose 10 pounds in 30 days. You know, it, it, yeah. most people fail. Mm -hmm. so, so it's really helpful to go somewhere that's long-term. And, and nobody wants to admit that they need to go where, you know, somewhere long-term. Um, but that was a game changer for me. And so if you're, if you're considering treatment, um, look for those 90 day or longer treatment centers. Um, <clears throat> I, I'll kind of speed things up to coming back to Sioux Falls. I, um, 
I came back here because, like I said, I had nowhere else to go. I, I was uh, Thanksgiving 2019. I was supposed to fly home for Thanksgiving, and I ended up getting COVID. Uh, so I, I checked myself into a hotel down there to isolate. I'm sorry, quarantine. Uh, but what I did the whole time was yeah. I just I used drugs for about three weeks while I had COVID. I mean, if that just like the insanity, it's like, really? Um, and maybe it killed the COVID because I didn't get very sick with COVID. Um, but I finally came home and, um, and I had an, uh, I had a, a short little stint of sobriety over, over Christmas and then I relapsed over the holidays and I, I was down in Sioux City and um, ended up in their ER a couple of times <clears throat> from overdose. And, um, and my parents, um, you know, they, they were really fearful that I would die based on what, you know, the, the emergency room was, was telling them. And so they, they invoked something called an involuntary committal. And I've had that done on me a couple of times. Those are not very fun, but it's a tool that's available for families. Um, and unfortunately here in Sioux Falls, that, that function of the involuntary committal uh, is not working very well, and there's a there's a lot of issues going on with that, with our new detox and the uh, the the way that that paperwork is processed. That's one thing I am working to get resolved uh, with the county commissioners here in Sioux Falls. But that was done to me. I came back, and um, and an ambulance was called. I was I was in psychosis, having some hallucinations and having trouble kind of breathing. And so I went to the emergency room and, um, and I had a, a used syringe on me. And so they took me to the emergency room, just you know, treated me for the overdose, then then released me back to the police to be arrested uh, for a felony possession. And then they took me to the old detox here in Sioux Falls, which, is, which was part of the arch. And, um, and I was, so defiant I was so broken I had gone to treatment six times I had nothing to show for my life I was uh, I, had, I had no money I couldn't stand to look at my own reflection in the mirror and um, I didn't want to you know, I wasn't suicidal or thoughts of that I was indifferent I just kind of wanted it to be over you know when is this gonna be over you know, if, if I'm not here anymore, oh, okay. I, I really couldn't see the way out. And I was exhausted by myself. I was exhausted from this, this, you know, I had been running for 20 years and I had been running from meth for 11 years. I had, I have tried to get sober since 2015 off this addiction and I can't beat it. It overwhelmed every single part of me. And so, um, so they wanted to send me back to treatment again. And I had planned to escape from the detox facility through a window in my room. And, and I got some money and I was gonna fly to California and never come back. Cause I, you know, I was gonna show my family, you did this to me, you'll never see me again. And so um, the night before my great escape, my mom and my best friend brought a bag of clothes and a toiletry bag. And, in the bottom of the bag was an old family Bible. And (coughs) 
in that bag was God. And um, so I opened it, and uh, and I was read, led to the story of Job. And I, I didn't know anything about Job. I actually thought it was pronounced Job. And I needed a job. And, um, and I read this passage, and it's Job 5, 17 through 19. And it says, Blessed is the one whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. For he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. And from six calamities, he will rescue you. And in the seventh, no harm will touch you. And that was, you know, that was God saying, Nathan, go one more time. You've been six times. I've gotten you through all six. And if you go one more time, I'll set you free. So I, I just got on my knees and I prayed and I just said, I, I, I really need it to work this time because I, I can't do this again. And, um, and today I have 21 months clean. And, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I worked the program. I did the steps. I, did, I had all the right answers, but I did it alone. I would not let God in. And I finally let him in, and it worked. And there's no other way to explain it. And if you knew who I was, and if you knew what I really thought about God, and what I thought he thought about me, to then be someone today who says, you know, there is no greater friend. And it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done, there's a place for you here. And you're welcome, and I love you. You know, it changed my life. And um, I'm just... I am incredibly grateful to be alive today. Mm -hmm. I am so glad I didn't die. And I'm so glad I didn't follow through on my self-destruction. And I'm so glad I didn't jump off a bridge. And I'm so glad I got arrested for a DUI so that I didn't kill myself or somebody else. I'm so arrested. All of those bad things happened to me as a way for maybe someone to say, hold on and put the brakes on your life because you're going down the wrong way. You know, that is very painful to endure and to go through, but that's God's love. And, um, you know, what recovery has done for me, it's taken that anger and those situations and it's let me see the other side. Um, I, was, I was beat up by the prison guards, both in San Antonio and in Austin. They almost broke both of my wrists. And I could be really angry at them. I am not angry today. I, I was not a good uh, jail person. You know, I was, I'm sure, disruptive and uncooperative. And all of my problems became their problems. And these people are overworked. And they don't have any resources. And they have to clean up everybody else's mess. I'm not excusing what they did. What they did was wrong. But also what I did was wrong. And... And so there's a way for us to meet in the middle. And I also today remember all of the good police officers and first the EMS crews. I bet I rode in an ambulance a dozen times. 
they, they, those people cared for me. They helped save my life. Uh, many, many times the nurses in the ER, the doctors in the ER, everybody at the treatment center, even the people who, uh, didn't really care. Uh, they all helped me. I learned something from every one of them. And so I'm in a place in my life today. You know, I, I came back to life in Sioux Falls and I'm going to give a shout out to celebrate church. It's my church. And, um, Pastor Reed and Pastor Keith, <clears throat> one of the times when I was back in Sioux Falls at Christmas, this is before I got better, my mom was talking about, you need to go see, you got to go listen to Pastor Keith. He's so good. And so I finally gave in and it was like right before New Year's Eve of 2019. And we get there and Keith's off that day. And I'm like, oh, great. You know, I hear all about Pastor Keith and now we have Pastor Reed, you know, mm-hmm. And I jokingly say the B team today, but he knows he's not the B team. He's the A team. Mm -hmm. And um, he said, he talked about his whole message was if you need a breakthrough, then this is the year. And before you get your breakthrough, God's going to break you. And I tell you what, I never forgot that. And I prayed almost every single day for that breakthrough. You know, God, make me like you, you know. I, I don't want to live like this anymore. And, um, and I was broken, you know, I was shattered in a million pieces and, um, and I've been rebuilt and I'm still being rebuilt. I'm still not perfect today. I might not have used drugs in the last couple of years or drank in three years, but my problems can still be there and they're just clearer today. I'm, I'm in a sober place to deal with them. And, um, you know, I, I've been blessed. I, I went with Celebrate and World Hope this last year to Africa, uh, to Liberia on a mission trip. I, I'm taking classes there. I am involved in the recovery community here in Sioux Falls. I sponsor men and women. Um, I help get people into treatment. I've picked people up when they had nowhere else to go. People have stayed at my house and my mom and dad's house to sober up for weeks or months, and that's what you do. Because you know what? Uh, I, I just wanna be, I, I didn't have somebody like me when I was going through what I went through, and I wanna be that person for somebody else. I wanna be the person that I needed but didn't have. And part of the reason I didn't have that person is because I, didn't let, I wouldn't accept help. There are, are so many good people in recovery, and there are so many wonderful sponsors. And if you're listening to this and a lot of what I said today doesn't resonate with you because you don't live in the world that I live in, I didn't think I lived there either until I got there. And these things come up, you know, I just was having a good time in my 20s, you know, going to Miami, going to parties, this, that, and the other. And I was just like, I just want to have a really good time. And before you know it, you're enveloped in the darkness and the spiral and you can't get out. And everything goes from a good time to a nightmare. And, um, and people find themselves there. I, I know a lot of very successful people in recovery. A lot of them uh, have done similar things that I have done. Uh, just to give you a little perspective, when I was using with someone in Minneapolis, uh, we were using uh, pretty powerful drugs for several days. And all of a sudden he said, hey, um, I've got to go for a little bit. Do you want to stay here while I, I run some errands? And I said, okay. And uh, I said, where are you going? And he says, I've got to go to the hospital and operate. He was a heart surgeon. 
and um and he went and operated for about five hours and came back and kept on departing so i don't say that to destroy that person i say that to say this thing is insane and there is nobody that is out of its grips if you let it in and everybody thinks that these you know meth addicts or you know, these heroin addicts or these opiate, whatever it is, you know, they all have stereotypes that go along with them, mm -hmm. but they happen to everybody. That's right. Everybody. And, um, and I don't want anybody to die. And so my life today, my life today, the purpose in my life today is, is God took all of the pain of my past and he gave me a new purpose. And that is to help people out of the pit. And, uh, and I'm going to do that every day, as long as I can, as good as I can, um, because I want everybody to make it. Nathan, <laughs> I, laughing is not the right response. Um, I asked one question. Yeah. The best interviews that we've ever done are ones where we're not driving, where you're driving. And if you guys didn't hear it on the front end, you're going to hear it on the back end. You are one of the most impressive human beings that I know. And I don't mean that to like pat you on the back and say thank you. I'm saying you went to hell and you grabbed a backpack and now you're on a mountain. <laughs> and you're still climbing the mountain, clearly. Yeah. And you have work to do. But Ryan and I have never both cried in an episode, so... Whatever that's worth to you, you're an impressive human being. Thank you. And you've gained a follower. I'm talking for the both of us, but two followers. Though. And whatever you need from this podcast or the resources that we're around, you just got to ask. Thank you. That was an impactful story that we're going to pub as much as our little world can <laughs> because what i love about you and this is what i told ryan is we're gonna we're gonna meet with nathan and he's gonna tell you this story and you're not gonna believe it and why you're not gonna believe it is because when you're around nathan good looking dude got a nice job came from sioux falls grew up in somewhat of a christian household can talk with the best of them like you're not gonna understand you're not gonna understand the story you're not gonna believe it but this is real, and you're giving it a face, and that mm -hmm. takes a lot of courage. Yeah, that you know, I, I still have some photos and some videos of me um, when I was when I was really at my worst, and um, I don't recognize that person anymore. And I, I kind of, you know, and I, I look back at it, and as a way to heal, I just kind of want to like hug that person mm -hmm. because he was so just embattled and destroyed, and and hurting and I you know I did that to myself uh, people who love themselves don't do this so so that that exposed my self-hatred and a lot of people are walking around today with self-hatred and they project that on everybody else and all those people you know they don't need to be yelled at they don't need to be locked up they really need love That's right. and they need the community of people who love them no matter what we will never overcome addiction by building a wall, by having more law enforcement. 
the only way to beat the cartels is to create another option for people where life is so good somewhere else through spirit that people are restored that you cannot deny it and they say I've had enough and I want to be with them I want to be in the light Ryan you wrote down a lot of notes I had to go a ton of notes this is the probably the most organized the guest has been uh, <laughs> we, he's given given us an outline and um, there's just so many things and thank you so much for just sharing this but there's so many things I don't even know where to start but at the top of my notes the thing that I wrote was God wants you and that's what I saw through this and it's just so beautiful to see your story or just kind of walk through this and so thank you for sharing it I know it's I mean that's that's a quite a quite a road we went down right yeah and it's a lot to relive and go through so thank you for um, thank you for that. But also just the, the people that I want to really hear this, the first people obviously are anybody who's dealing with addiction of any sort, of any kind, whether it's porn, alcohol, drugs, whatever it is, I want you to, I want that person to hear this in the heart behind Nathan. The other part is an area that you're working, we well, are working in both of these areas, but the other part that I really want um, people to hear, this area is the 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 people that can give people like that hope the people who are in law enforcement the people who are in recoveries the people who are making decisions uh i want those people to hear that you might not be struggling with this but there are people around you that are and mm -hmm. give grace and give hope you yeah. cannot just i know i'm familiar with hazelton that does not work in 11 days no that is not an 11 day program no um it is and that is not a place you just go just to I mean, that's, that's, that is a, I don't know, I mean, for the listeners that don't know about Hazelden, I mean, it's, that's, that's where you go to really get better. I went to Hazelden, so I went seven times to treatment. I went to Hazelden twice. Um, I, I, it's a good program. They have brilliant yes. people who work there. Unfortunately, my criticism of Hazelden, if I have one, is they let the insurance companies yep. dictate care. Yep. And, and that is, uh, one, to sustain a business model, but, um, you know, when I was denied coverage, I actually sued Cigna unsuccessfully because they have a lot more money than I do. But they told me the reason I was being moved out of there was because I no longer met medical criteria necessary for inpatient care. You cannot get a, they will not tell you what their criteria is still to this day. It is subjective and uh, it basically has to do with dollar signs and revenue and profits. So if you, the minute they can rationalize getting you out, you're done. And that has to change. Mm. Well, you know, we'll send people four, five, six times to these two week, three week, four week stints. And, and it's like, just let them stay till they're ready. Like, come on, you know? And, and, I, and I know there will be people who think that they will disagree with that. But let me tell you, this disease will take the time and it will take the money one way or another. Yeah. You know, Jamie Smith, who's running for governor, uh, made a comment in his um, interview with him, and he said, if we can get these people healthy, they'll go to work, and that will yeah. solve our problem. And that is so evident in this in this uh, time with you, Nathan. Um, so thank you for just shedding more light on that. That's sure so powerful. Nathan, you're clearly an advocate for recovery, um, and so there's probably some simple places uh, that people can reach out to at least to start the conversation. Yeah. I would assume, because uh, I'm one of those people, this is not my world. So now you essentially put a 
some fear into me, which is okay, right? Like if, if I haven't felt it, that just means two things. So I, what I heard was I'm either not in the devil's way or there's something on the horizon and I need to be on the lookout for it. Yeah. That's good. That's good testimony. I believe in that. Um, but there's some people right now that the, I, I, I would assume the hardest thing to do is to pick up the phone. Oh yeah. That's a 10,000 pound phone when you haven't called anybody or told anybody. Um, <clears throat> they, the world doesn't need any more shame. Okay. Um, this is not a moral failure on someone's part. It, it, it is a addiction is so complex. It is both a disease, but it is also a trouble. It is a, a, a thought pattern and system that does not work well. Despite horrible circumstances, people continue to walk right back into the fire. My friend who I just went to his wedding um, was a heroin addict. Very, very upstanding family. Uh, they have everything and more. And one in one day, in one day, he overdosed and died three times. And what he did, and he had the same ambulance drivers pick him up in Austin, Texas. And he would go in the ambulance, they would give him Narcan and resuscitate him, and then he left the ER, went back to the motel that he was using at, and did it again. And his trick for surviving that is he leaned against his door, his hotel room door, where it was slightly ajar, so that when he passed out, it fell open, and someone could see him. And, and people chase, and that's fentanyl, and that's heroin, and that's everywhere, they're putting it in everything, and, and people chase that. And it's like, you know, a, a, someone who is not addicted cannot understand what are you doing? Yep. And you do it three times in one day. The drugs today are super drugs. The cartels have put things in them that overwhelm any type of biological system. We are, there, there is no way for our bodies to handle this. And people get addicted in, in a matter of days or weeks with continued use. So if people need to pick up that 10,000 pound phone, where do they need to go? What's the first call they can make? I, I hope one person hears that. Sure. Right? That's what we always say at Mandate. If anyone yep. other than our wives or moms listen, we yep. win. If you get one person to call, there's sure. one person like is like, okay, I got my phone. I'm ready to do it based off what Nathan said. I want to yep. be in the light with Nathan. Who do they call? I mean, reach out. You know, there's a lot of resources. 211. Um, I sit on the board for Face It Together. I completed Face It Together. Uh, wonderful coaching program. It is not inpatient, but it is a coaching program and more for aftercare. And maybe for somebody who is not as far along in their addiction as I was. Um, there's also the link here in Sioux Falls. And I sit on the advisory board of the link as well. Having gone through the, the detox process myself, um, there are very wonderful people who work there who care. The link has limitations. It is, not, uh, it is not treatment. And they do not keep people for very long because of limited resources. Uh, South Dakota has a handful of treatment centers. Uh, I've been to one of them in Yankton, Lewis and Clark. Um, that, that was uh, an experience. Um, but I, I would say start, just make a call to someone yeah. and, and pray on it. Reach out to somebody you can trust. If it's, if it's too hard to talk to family, find a friend. Um, go to an AA meeting. There, I mean, I don't represent AA. I can't say that. 
Um, but I do represent people in recovery and, uh, there are a lot of resources out there, but the important thing is to find somewhere where you can go. Um, I, I insurance is always an issue. They don't like to pay, uh, even though that there have been changes in, in healthcare rules and, and all of that, but call somebody 211, reach out to somebody who is in recovery. Um, you know, I put myself out there. I, I can't help the whole city of Sioux Falls or the, right. the bandwidth of this broadcast. But if there's a way for me to help, I will. All right, Nathan. So that's the last question. Um, I think people, there could be some people in that pit that you talk about. And they don't have, they can't let their friends or family down again. They've yep. already let them down too many times. Yep. But they can find an advocate in yourself. I just need to, I need to talk this through with Nathan. I the prospect is too much. It's too great. It's too heavy. I just need him. I just need to talk to him. Can people get a hold of you? And if so, how would they do that? Sure. Um, you know, I, I think probably, you know, through social media or contacting the show, okay. um, and, and they can pass that along to me. Um, you, you know, I'll say this, I, I can't, I can't heal anyone. I don't have that power. Uh, a treatment center is not going to fix you. What a treatment center is, is a timeout. It's a safe environment for you to collect yourself and to refocus what you're doing, to be in a protected environment where you can work a program of recovery. Hopefully it's rooted in the 12 steps. I am a huge advocate of the 12 steps. And also consider your relationship with a higher power. Um, I, I'm not here to tell people what to believe, but I'll tell you, unbelief is not going to help you get better. Mm. You, you got to believe in something other than yourself because you cannot overcome this alone. So um, that's, that's my best advice, and, and uh, only God can fix this. Powerful, powerful sentence. Unbelief. Uh, Nathan, okay, so from what, what Nathan just said, you can likely find him on some social medias. Uh, so look for him there. Otherwise, please contact mandate.pod at gmail.com. We will take your request. We'll move that over to Nathan, uh, and then he can kind of rifle through who he's going to reach out to. So if you do that, you know, leave a phone number or an email, uh, and we'll get you in touch. Um, Nathan, good and faithful servant, my friend. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time on Mandate. Mandate does not exist without your continued support or the fact that you, KPP, keep pressing play. Another great episode of the Mandate Podcast is behind us. But here's something you can look forward to. Check out next week's podcast. Also, like and subscribe. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. Find us on Instagram at MandatePod. Or send us an email, mandate.pod at gmail.com. Who knows? We might reference your email or call you out in episode. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com backslash mandate pod. There's three easy ways to support monthly basis and all of the funds go right back into this podcast. KPP. Keep pressing play. See you next time on Mandate.